Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jarrett Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On this week's episode, I have Alexander Tocholovsky on the show. Alexander is the curator at the Herb Lubalin Study Center and is a professor at Cooper Union here in New York. The Lubalin Center, for those of you that don't know, is this amazing archive housed at Cooper Union of the great designer Herb Lubalin's work, but it also houses over 10,000 pieces of design from all, all across history, from uh, all sorts of designers around the world. It's this really great archive and sort of hidden gem uh, here in New York that if you're ever in town, you really must visit it if you haven't yet. And in this episode, Alexander and I talk about the Lubalin Center, and we talk about uh, him studying design at Cooper Union and his decision to go to graduate school at Cranbrook. And we talk about his career as a designer, an educator, and a curator. But we spend the bulk of this conversation talking about design history. History is central to Alexander's practice, and we talk about it from a bunch of different angles. We talk about how it relates to contemporary work, how to teach it, and its role in informing our own practices. If you're at all interested in design history, I think you will really enjoy this conversation. I know I came away from it just feeling like I had really learned a lot. Remember, if you're a fan of the podcast and want to help support it, you can become a member for $5 a month or $50 a year to receive an exclusive monthly newsletter that has additional content and episode previews. The November newsletter will be going out this week, so if you sign up today, you'll have that next one in your inbox very soon. These memberships really help keep the podcast going, and I just really appreciate all of your support and hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Alexander Tocholowski. about your early career and kind of how you got into all of this and so um, let's just start with that and just kind of where your interest in design or even kind of where you learned where you originally learned about graphic design mm-hmm. or that graphic design was something you were interested in yeah um, so I was born in Soviet Union um, and in Odessa and I left when I was 12 years old while the country still Soviet Union, which so Odessa now is part of Ukraine. And I had um, a couple of years of art training there. Um, and when I moved to New York with my family, I had to sort of put art on hold for a while until, you know, sort of you know, other things took priority, yeah. like yeah. language, going to school. Um, eventually, sort of once I felt kind of more settled in to the rhythm of like junior high school, high school, and I'm thinking about college, I kind of came back to art, partially because of the high school I was at, which was Moro, Edward R. Moro, which has a pretty pretty oh. strong art department. And within the art department, uh, there was a little bit of a design uh, class, which probably was my first foray kind of into, into okay. introduction to design. Uh, just as a class, I wouldn't say that I was like enamored by it. It was just like... I tried to take all the art classes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of them, I tried it. It was cool, um, but I was definitely set more in like the broader kind of art context. And I also found out about Cooper in okay. high school, and I found out that they had a, a summer high school program. Mm-hmm. I did the summer high school program here at Cooper. Fell in love with Cooper Union. I, I thought this is like the best, the best place in the world. It, it had, it felt like the the right place. Um, and this, you know, I remember like walking through the doors and, and feeling, wow, this is really interesting, magical kind of 
feeling place. Yeah. I'd like to be part of this institution. <laughs> yeah. Um, and was surprised that I got in when I applied. I, I really okay. didn't think that I had a shot because I came back to art so late. I really didn't feel like I had enough material. I didn't have enough portfolio. The home test was, was a, a, a huge, huge, huge sort of uh, hurdle. I love doing it. I think that's that's another part of what I really appreciate about Cooper is like the home test, kind of the model of applying, yeah, getting yeah. in, putting people through the ringer of, 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 of um, trying to really suss out the right fit. I love the process of it. I had zero hope of getting in. I was just like, it's just a fluke. I mean, it's just, <laughs> right, you know, right. or when I got in, I was like, oh, it's totally a fluke. Did I make a mistake? Um, but when I got in... Um, after spending kind of the first year doing foundational studies, like like most other art schools, there's something I started feeling like a, a, a sort of a little bit of a pull towards design, but again, like not not something that was like, oh, this is like yeah. a thing for me. Uh, I was starting to feel the same pull towards photography too. Okay, so I have two I have two yeah. questions about that that yeah. are may or may not be related. Um, you know, you mentioned taking. I'm going to try to make these related questions. You mentioned taking art classes when you were really young mm -hmm. in the Soviet Union, and so I'm kind of curious what what those were, or or just why you even like did you have an interest in that mm -hmm. as a kid? And then two, maybe to connect that, when you got back into it and when you were applying to Cooper, what what were you kind of thinking at? the time were you thinking that you wanted to be an artist like you know did you kind of have goals at right. that time and were those maybe related to those earlier art classes ones. the the stuff i did in, in soviet union was like very academic it was like very much oh, okay. the, um, the tradition of i guess like the, the residual still of, of social realism and, and oh, interesting. like a very classical training you know, like a, a very academic you know it's like yeah. you, you draw from a still life you oh, draw yeah. from a live model not much concept, not much just technique right. and, and, you know, talent with technique. That was the, the formula. You know, yeah. Find talented kids, give them enough technique and they'll be great artists. Like in, in sort of in the system of like official artists. So that's kind of all I knew. There's okay. very little that um, went beyond that. You know, you had classical art and, and, and then there really wasn't modern art where at least like in my, uh, sort of in, in that bubble that I lived in at, at the time, there really wasn't anything that went beyond like right, training right, yeah. and making things. So it was sort of like a very simple construct that I had in my mind, which once I got to Cooper completely, completely kind of got flipped on the side yeah. because when I was applying to Cooper, I think I was applying with this somewhat of a, uh, I guess the home test was the first experience that I had with like making work based on a prompt, making work mm. based on an idea. Oh, interesting. Rather than just, um, it's, it's the first time I really was, you know, there were things in high school for sure, but like this is the first time I really felt challenged by making art that wasn't like observational. Right. You know, right. Or from your imagination, so to speak. Like it was something where you were given, I remember one prompt was, um, sound and distance that's all it said sound and distance and and i remember sitting there thinking like how how do you answer that like yeah in a, like in what form is it if you know what, what do you do and but completely enamored by that idea that i had to think of of, of ways to visualize something that's 
yeah, it's visual, but like, what is my visual for that? And right, right. It really, it really changed the the dynamic for me because it really it opened up the whole sort of world. And I think, you know, thinking back on that, this is probably the 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 the, the first sort of inkling of design kind of uh, thing. Yeah, was, that's exactly it's, what it's, I was thinking. It's it's the thing that I really gravitated towards. You know, it's like with this like. Uh, here's a prompt and you have to really think about it and, and it's fairly open-ended they can go anywhere and that's that's the beauty of yeah, you know, what I yeah. really appreciate about design but it's that same mentality it's like that same kind of weird starting place and you just start challenged what was that moment like or, or you know when you found yourself gravitating towards design what was it that kind of finally mm -hmm. grabbed you or I think the really I think that the thing that clicked for me was like the thinking part yeah. not so much like I mean, I, I do love the aesthetic, uh, but that came kind of secondary because when I started taking design courses, I really wasn't exposed to as much of the artifacts of graphic design in, in, in the sense that I wasn't really pointed out like, this is graphic design and this is like painting. You know, it was just, it's there because graphic design is such a part of yeah. the visual yeah. fabric. You don't really sit up and say, oh, this is design. Like you just, right. You, right. It's just your visual context. And what I first, I think, appreciated is the thinking, the sort of the structure of kind of thinking through a problem. And, um, and that really clicked with me, really, really clicked. I found a really, uh, I just liked the time. Yeah. And I liked what yeah. happened in my brain yeah. when I was doing that. And, and that's like the thing that really grabbed me. Um, and at the same time, I have to like around the same time as when I started discovering kind of the visual part of graphic design, so, like the artifact. I've been thinking about kind of my own introduction in graphic design and trying to figure out what it was that that grabbed me. Uh, and I was in high school when I kind of figured it out, and I was also always really interested in art and drew a lot and was always kind of making things. But I, I'm not sure that it, I don't know if, I don't know if this is true or if I'm kind of like, you know, putting this on my, my background mm -hmm. in retrospect, but I, I, when I look back at my interests and what I did as a kid, I wasn't necessarily a good drawer, mm -hmm. you know, I could draw, mm -hmm. but it wasn't, I, I don't know if I ever had an ambition to be an artist or thought that that was something I could do. And I'm one, I've often wondered if graphic design if it was that kind of process, if it was mm. those systems, if it was, you know, these, these ideas to make something is what grabs me mm -hmm. equally to the aesthetics and to the artifact. And I definitely loved the artifacts and I loved looking at graphic design, but I'm wondering if it was that kind of what you're talking yeah. about. And I'm, I'm saying all that to kind of ask how those came together for you and, mm -hmm. you know, were, when did the aesthetics come in and, and how did those start to relate to these systems and theories and things that you were thinking about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I definitely relate to, to that notion of, of what you just outlined. Like, I, I feel like I technically wasn't as, as strong and as good as some of my peers. And, and I don't know that I ever imagined that I had um, enough ability to become like an artist. Like right. Fine artist, you know, it's like I it was... It's something I like, but I was never really sure that I had enough to do that. Yeah, and, and yeah. 
and I think that's why I was so shocked that I got into Cooper because I thought right, that like right. the, the benchmark is so high that like there's no way in hell I would ever yeah. stand a chance against like the, the people. And my first year really was tough because I saw how good my peers right, were. Right. My first year classmates and I was like, Whoa, like there's no way I could ever really yeah, even yeah. get I was the same way my first year. And I do wonder like that that like uh but there's something obviously that worked, you know, like we, we, we got into these institutions that are selective yeah. and, and so something obviously was there um, and I think it maybe is just like that the, there's a mindset that kind of gets pulled and, and, and kind of triggered by sort of this design process that's it's not it's not that drastically different from fine art but I think that there's there's definitely like a, uh, a different process yeah. It's, it's, yeah it's it's a thinking that, that like the the early stages of developing an idea is what really draws people in. I think that there's right. common ground yeah. with, within uh, sculpture, fine art, photography. Like, I think that's the, it's like where it goes. I think, I think like the way that things started coming together is, I realized one, I think I realized um, how much I didn't see when I was in Soviet, you know, how much I wasn't mm. aware of like, oh, the legacy and the culture of the Soviet design, or even like the, well, like the, the Russian avant-garde, right? Like this, the stuff that today is considered, you know, one of these most you know, important movements within mm -hmm, design mm -hmm. and, and the art as well. But yeah, I had no idea that that existed. You know, oh, interesting. Because like by the time I was in school in the eighties, especially kind of in a smaller city, that really was no longer okay. That that aesthetic was, you know, very quickly right, in the thirties right. sort of put on the on the shelf and, and that was right. like too radical, too bourgeois. And then everything social realism kind of took took over. And so the generation that I was growing up with was cut off from that completely. And Interesting. I had yeah. to basically come to New York and you know, go to school in, in New York City to realize how much had been going on at the time in nineteen twenties. Right. And that aesthetic really resonated with me, partially just just for, um, like, just just uh, I guess uh, what's the best way of saying it? Not, not nationalist, but um, cultural sort of like the you know sharing cultural heritage with with that aesthetic felt like oh wow this is mine you yeah know, I have a closer relationship to it even if I didn't know that it existed but. I felt proud of having, you know, being part of this culture that had this amazing right, history. Right. So I felt kind of an affinity towards it on, on an emotional level, but also on, a, on an aesthetic level. I found it's amazingly concise and right. amazingly strong visually. So that's like when the visual part started kind of coming into it. Into it, and kind of, uh, so the thinking and then and the and the visual sort of forms of, of Russian avant-garde started to kind of get me pulling me more and more into the world of design. This is interesting. I don't, I don't mean to kind of take a, a sharp turn away from kind of the trajectory of your career, but mm -hmm. something I was really interested in talking to you about was design history and kind of yeah. your interest in design history. And, and it, it seems like it's a really big part of your practice. And I was kind of curious where that came in. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like it was, it came in um, at a, like a very personal level. Like yeah. this is maybe where the, kind of interest in design history in general, not just kind of Soviet Russian design history. So did that, did kind of finding that, that history and, and your personal connection to it kind of open up into 
design history in general, or like how did kind of studying the history become so yeah. so important to to your work? Yeah, I mean, I think like it, it's interesting. I haven't really thought about it in in, in that regard, um, but but definitely feeling like there's a gap, like mm-hmm. there's a hole in, in my knowledge somehow, like that. It, it was just strange kind of to find yourself like, well, how did I not know? Like, you know I grew up in right. a country that made this work and like, what, what, what's that's so weird that that, that but you know, you understand like the, the kind of yeah. logic why that might have been the case, but feeling like you're filling in, you know, and, and, and being fascinated by something and being like surprised by not knowing that and really wanting to fill that gap. And I think that that probably maybe started you know, yeah. Again, like it, it's it's interesting. I haven't really thought about it in that way, but it it feels very much like that's the beginning of where I started to get interested in these ideas around the, the history of design stuff. That like, oh, I don't know something. That's weird. Yeah. I should know. It feels like I yeah. should know that. Yeah, yeah. Let me go and find that out. And then, kind of a succession of these finding these holes in my knowledge and being just curious to fill that knowledge so that. Right. Like it doesn't, you know, I don't want to have that whole, it seems kind of an important thing to know. Right. Let me, let me go investigate that. Let me find that. I think it, it that along with discovering the LeBalance Center when I was a student, that happened like between my first and second year. Oh, okay. That's just, just surrounded by some of these artifacts that I kept kind of stumbling across were curious because they were, it was funny because it's like, you know, finding gaps in knowledge, you know, was, a, was I think, a big motivating factor. And then just finding things that were just curious, just like things that didn't have a context. And I, I really kind of felt I, I didn't understand what they were in a mm-hmm. way. Like I would find something that, because my, my understanding of graphic design by that point was fairly rudimentary. So seeing like an object that I really couldn't place anywhere right. just made me like struggle like what is it right i need i need to understand this and sort of like that led me down a rabbit hole many rabbit holes of of design history and i think like those two things of like knowing that i don't know things and like it would be nice to to have you know like not a comprehensive ever knowledge but definitely like filling in the gaps and then also just dumbfounded by like yeah. an object and it's like I don't get it what is it let me yeah. figure out what this is so I can feel somehow secure about knowledge of, of what now I understand <laughs> this thing okay cool like I think part of it is also driven by you know immigrating and then knowing that I don't know and like right. uh, I don't have the same contact I mean it happens all the time now too like less so I guess as you get older but but certainly things that like someone will mention a movie right that they grew up with <laughs> right. watching and right. you're like what right. like uh, you know I feel like I've I've definitely like filled in like like Goonies for you know like something like that you know like <laughs> camp yeah. movies that that, yeah. that that my generation would have watched but there's certain certain movies that just escaped completely I had no time I wasn't here right. like, and then right. when you're older you have no interest in seeing those things but it's that kind of feeling of you know being an immigrant and assimilating into a culture, and knowing that there's just a chunk of time and space and knowledge that you won't right. be able to reconcile. You don't have that, and being comfortable, you know, in 
as a as a as a teenager uh, in a society where you know it feels like you don't really want to stand out too much or be different right, enough, right, right, because you don't know something, you kind of have to work double time. Like, okay, I gotta I yeah. gotta make sure that I'm up on these things. You know, I know I gotta know what they're talking about. Like, I need to fit yeah. in so that I don't feel like excluded from the stuff. And, right. And completely trivial things, but but there's this tendency of like I gotta fit in. Right. You know, I need to know the culture. And I think like that stays with you because you know that there's always, you're always behind. I feel like I was the same way, especially in regards to design history. Uh, the undergrad that I went to, they had a design history class, but it didn't, it didn't go too deep on anything. It was kind of, it was a survey class. that was just kind of very quick through. And I remember feeling at the time, like I was missing a lot of things. And, and, and I feel like that's kind of when my interests in design history started in feeling like the history that I was being shown wasn't the full history. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious why you felt like you needed to, to know these things, mm -hmm. you know, or, mm -hmm. or, or the, the impulse to categorize or to fill in these gaps. And, and did it come from, or did it have any kind of influence on the work that you were making or were you seeing connections were you seeing kind of studying these things filtering into the work that you're doing at, either as a student and then even when you went on to work as a designer how did how did that history kind of filter in yeah that's it's 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 you know like i never formally had uh, a historiographic design class it, oh, was, interesting. it was it was offered at the time when i was here um somehow it never fit my schedule like yeah it's some something circumstantial where i was actually like really curious and i really was interested in taking that class i really uh i saw stuff that was like i, I saw what was going on in my class and was like really curious about it and, and it just never really worked out for not you know just probably circumstances but so I never really had even like the survey, mm. you know, oh, so whatever the, the yeah. history that I knew was whatever came sort of filtered through the courses, like, you know, you teachers dropping names, right. and, you know, like blah, 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 this, this, da, 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 yeah. piecemeal. And I think that that was also like knowing like, oh, okay, so I got like three things here and a couple of things here. There's got to be like more, you know, like right. holes, big right. holes. And then interning at the LeBallon Center, which I did pretty much throughout the so I started between my first and second year, and I stayed interning for the next couple of years, almost three years, not okay. like throughout the year, just like coming in a few days a week and just kind of helping out here and there and helping out with, with a lot of exhibitions that were going on during that time, being exposed to sort of these very sort of narrow themes within design. That, I think, sort of was my introduction to like this, the field of like kind of scholarship around right, design. Right. I, uh, one of the shows I worked on was the Paul Shaw and, and Peter Bain's uh, Black Letter exhibition. Oh, yeah. Identity yeah. Happened, I think 98. And that was fascinating to me because it was like, it's a show about graphic design, but it's such a narrow, such a specific right. framework, but also with a lot of substance. You know, it was mm -hmm. like about the black letter type, but like with all the, the ensuing kind of baggage. So... Working on, on, on something like that allowed me to, to kind of understand like how deep and how vast this kind of stuff is. And even though I didn't have a survey, I had kind of like a very uh, small uh, snippet of like a very deep kind of research. Right, how, yeah. How time-consuming and how intense it could be. 
so I had these like kind of weird, um, I guess like uh, um, entry points into this this thing of kind of the, the bigger graphic design. But to, to to your question, I think I didn't connect it to my practice ever really, oh, and I didn't really see the connection uh, that I could have had. I think. In a way, because I really didn't understand like the field of the history of design in a sense that I might have if I had taken that kind of the survey. Oh, course. interesting. Yeah. So I always was just, I think what I was thinking about mostly when I was doing my own design work, it was just kind of like thinking about um, what I was doing and solving sort of the, the particular problems that you're solving in the assignments and then seeing... Uh, I guess the connections I was making was more to the contemporary work. Okay. You know, so like annuals, yeah. you know, like type oh, directors right, club, right, or art right. directors club, like whatever, like 97, 98, 99. Uh, at the time, um, the type directors annual exhibitions was, was happening at Cooper. So every summer I would like uh, see that show. And I felt like this very strong kind of pressure for <laughs> trying to be as good as the work that I was seeing. Yeah. In seeing the gap in quality, like my work is here and this work I'm seeing right. is like yep. so much more. And it was definitely tricky kind of to, because if you, you just want it to be just as good as that work, but knowing that you're still behind, you know. So that's the connection in a way to my practice that I was making. It's something that much more immediate, something much, yeah. much, much closer. And I really was drawn to the historical stuff. But I didn't see it as relating to my work that I was doing. I always felt them kind of sort of not even tangential, just not even yeah. parallel. They were just like this world of graphic design history and this world of making. What I've come to realize now is I've, I've through sort of the work that I've been doing and, and, and the time that I'm you know, engaged as a curator in the collection, now I've reestablished the links. And it, it took oh. me kind of, it, it, it took a weird trajectory for me to get there to now understand the full um, impact of understanding graphic design and understanding the history and understanding the mechanics behind it I can see how influential it is to the practice can you talk about that a yeah. little bit and you don't have to talk about it in relationship to your own work but yeah. just in general because this is something that I think about a lot I haven't articulated it enough for myself, and so I'm kind of asking mm -hmm. you to do it so I can try to figure it out for sure. myself. Because it's interesting to me that you know you didn't take the the design history class that was offered when you were a student here, and at the schools that I teach at, design history classes are optional mm -hmm. for the most part. I right. don't think they're required, and mm -hmm. and something about that feels wrong to me like it like design history feels like something that should be required mm -hmm. for every design student and i i intellectually see the connection in my own work and in the work of students and not just as a reference of oh you're doing something you know talking to a student you're doing something that looks like this you should look at this designer or mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. is someone you should know about it seems like those connections are deeper and i haven't fully articulated what those are but I I know they're there and I would love to kind of yeah. hear you talk about them especially like your work here in the Louvain Center that's such a collection of design history mm -hmm. too yeah yeah it's interesting I mean like I I think like what I would say I mean I, there's a lot that I can say <laughs> about this because it's something that I've been thinking for several years now 
in something that, that that's been really really become something really important to um my my i guess you know this is my practice now this right is really yeah sort of exactly what i do i mean i think one um i think there's something a little bit problematic with the terminology i think like for a graphic designer, for a graphic design student to take a course that's called graphic design history, given what we expect of designers and what we sort of are asking of them, like as soon as you put that label graphic design history, there's something that kind of switches off. You know, there's right, something that's right. like, oh, it's history. Right. Not relevant. You know, I think that there's, a, there's yeah, this really exactly strange right. kind of thing, you know, which isn't the same that happens in art. Like, so if you're an artist, you know, like most of us having gone through art schools you know even if we study design we're exposed to art history yeah artists i think have a very different relationship to it because that's their practice that's their whole field like they don't necessarily feel that somehow it's old you know it's, right it's, yeah it's, it's something that you're part of it's 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 your sort of i think within graphic design there's a stronger emphasis and this is just the theory and you know like this is something that i kind of uh see you know and feels and i don't know how how true this is but I, I definitely feel that there's like some substance to it and that we're expected to make a lot of new things we're always kind of expected to make that's know, interesting like, I, I just kind of think about like every project that i've ever worked on like no one's ever asked me to like do something like they need a new thing right they come to you because there's something that they have isn't working anymore something that they um they need a new logo they need whatever like the, there's this constant um shift towards the future it's like it's all about tomorrow and like yeah, the longevity yeah. and there's a shelf life but then at some point we'll have to redesign when you bring because it's such a strong emphasis like a, a fine artist like a painter doesn't necessarily set out every day to make the new thing new 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 no one's like they're making something like their yeah. the mode is rooted in their making and the thinking and, and like what's motivating them. It's not, of course, by default that's new, but yeah. they don't necessarily. I don't feel like there's this incessant pressure of like make the new thing, make the new thing. What's the cool thing? What's this new thing? Well, I think when when graphic design is so much kind of part of this new future trajectory, and you put history into it, it's at odds. I think that there's this like strong tension. Like why why should I care about this stuff? Yeah. If my client's not asking me to to, to do delve into Paul Rand. Like right, they're just right. asking me for a new logo. Like maybe they want it to be as good as Paul Rand's, but they're really asking me for something. And I, I'm gonna just like I think that our perspective as graphic designers, not all, but like I think that there's this there's this emphasis. Like we look in a very narrow space yeah. of like what's what else is going on now. What are the other studios doing? What's what's cool? You know, like and, right. and we kind of stay within today. And we want to be like tomorrow, but like we're we're kind of like we don't that's think really about yesterday. And I I find that that's a huge, uh, a huge problem because like the more I've spent time here in the archive, the more I've spent time with with these materials, the more uh, open minded that I've been able to allow myself to be. The more I've realized how relevant everything is and how mm -hmm. much all of this stuff still matters. You know. I think the problem I find, if I can try to articulate, the problem that I find is because graphic design is so rooted in the visual and it's so um, conditioned by the importance of the aesthetic, you know, it's yeah. like, and then we get judged on the aesthetic, right? We critique the aesthetic. In the making, we spend a lot of time, like, moving stuff around, you know, like, this would look better on the left or, you know, this feels off balance. Like, 
why these colors? Like there's there's such a strong emphasis on the final communication being completely in sort of the aesthetic. Uh, we overemphasize the aesthetic over the, the, the thinking and the making, yeah, yeah. which every designer knows that it's not just the final form. They spend weeks, days, months, years developing this project, and it looks the way it looks because of all of these things that went into it. Like, mm -hmm. But when we move from that, once the project is done, once it's out there in the world, yeah, we can see like the concept. We can kind of see why it's clever. We can see why it's interesting. Uh, why it resonates, but it's still about the thing. You know, it's it's yeah. still about the object, and so we we overemphasize the aesthetics, and we overemphasize the aesthetic to such a degree. I find that we never really delve into everything that's behind it. Yeah, and oftentimes we just don't have the access point to it. I think you're exactly right, and it, that, that's something I've thought about a lot. And I've never taught a design history class, so I'm only speaking from experiences. Uh, someone who loves design history, someone who has taken design history classes and someone who teaches students who have taken design history classes and, and how I see them uh, kind of respond to it is that design history, this is a blanket statement, often does get uh, kind of boiled down to just a collection of artifacts. And there's no story, no context, no um, relationship or or theory about mm -hmm. why why these objects look the way they do or why we even consider these objects as part of the design history canon and so i think about the classes that i had taken they were all just you know it was slides of images mm -hmm. and it was kind of like this was the style at this time and then this designer did this new thing without any of that context of what was happening in the world at the time. Yeah. What, you know, what new technology was created that made these things look a different way or, you know, what was happening in the culture and politics that, you know, prompted this. And I wonder if how, how bringing those things in, how talking about process and, mm -hmm. and wider history could change kind of our relationship yeah to it yeah like I, again i think like i the actually the first class i ever taught by myself was our design history class oh, uh, nice. and, which is which is strange uh and i haven't taught design history since <laughs> although i've been okay. really curious and like would love to sort of like try it in, in, a, in a kind of a more contemporary space I mean, I teach it sort of in a way as as part of like the job, you know, yeah, sort of the, yeah, yeah. The gateway to to the material. It feels like it's it's teaching design history, but not in a formal way. I mean, I think like the the trick is like you know you have fifteen weeks and you have to like jump through, right. run through a lot of history, and and it doesn't leave a lot of a lot of room for the right. context. But I think it's essential. I think like we have to have um, uh, like. Um, like the ideology behind a lot of the work and, <laughs> and the thinking is often like more interesting and more important as a takeaway rather than like the fine, you know, like the, the, the final sort of aesthetic, like Swiss design to me is like the, 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 the perfect example of how, how little we understand really of why it looks the way it looks. Right. And, and the thinking that went behind it. it, it seems for most of us that are exposed to that aesthetic it's like oh it's an aesthetic it's like it's very clean it's very minimal you know and then like you find like the formula is you know you have a, a certain narrow palette of fonts 
typefaces that you can pick from. And the aesthetic is very minimal, like pared down. And that's sort yeah. of like, okay, so it's about yeah. minimalism. Swiss design is about minimalism. And yeah, it is about sort of like a distilled um, uh, uh, kind of a, um, a simple visual presentation, but the, there's a reason why it's so simple, you know, because the, the ideology was so important. Uh, the yeah. objectivism yeah. rooted with, you know, that underpinned the entire Swiss movement with Swiss design is what caused them to go towards the minimal aesthetic. Right. It wasn't like that they, you know, they explored the range of visual choices and they're like, you know, we just like the more minimal stuff. They they did the minimal stuff because of what the thinking led them to. Right. It was the perfect answer to what their aims were. And now we just see the final form. It's like, okay, it's minimal, so I'm going to do something like in the Swiss style. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and that's just wrong in a way it's it feels really really wrong to me like the, the, this is just it's such a disservice to the swiss movement to yeah. just make it into minimal you know, yeah it's not minimal there's lots of other minimal work you know 1920s there's still like you know the like constructivists could be said minimal <laughs> right. like right. why this has now become like the shorthand for it and we really miss out and i really feel uh, as, as a as a graphic designer still i think that Design students and, and designers are better served by being kind of shown and, and given the context why the Swiss style exists the way mm -hmm, it does, like mm -hmm. what made it that. Because I think like if we understand how what drove it to get to that place, I think you can use the same ideas, you can use the same principles, yeah. and apply them in not necessarily a minimal way. Like you can you can apply that logic in in very different ways. I feel like the the mutability of that is 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 what is fascinating about design history, like the fact that you, if you understand the the stuff kind of in a right. holistic way, you could move it into different aesthetics. It doesn't have to stay. Right. Like I'm 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 a fan of like minimal work. There's just it, it's something that I like as a, as a visual expression of my own sensibilities. But there are things that I could appreciate about like certain work and also at the same time not appreciate right. like the visual like the, the shorthand but if i understand like the stuff behind it i could i could make something that is visually something very different it doesn't have to be minimal necessarily like it's a it's a, it's a bit vague kind of an in, in yeah. this explanation but i think that that like like for, for me like the, i guess like this is maybe more of a, a better example is like i can find something that visually is something I hate. Like just, just <laughs> flat down. Like just something that's just not amazingly um, in line with my sort of sensibilities. But if I, if I'm open-minded and if I can sit down with this object and dig through it, I can find mm -hmm. something really useful for myself. Right. I think what you're talking about is exactly what I see with my own students. I know I was guilty of this as an undergrad and in my early design career of kind of taking, you know, getting really interested in or getting really obsessed with a particular moment in design history and just copying that look, just, you know, taking that, putting it on, on this new thing. Um, and, you know, you, I can always tell my students kind of what, what they're looking at often. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I have a, a uh, whole body of work from undergrad that was done in various styles that I was interested in that were just completely not appropriate to the context or to the, you know, uh, 
thing that I was supposed to be designing for, but it was like, oh, I'm really into this style right now. Let me just put it on this poster that I'm doing, even though there's no relation. And I'm, and I think kind of what you're talking about with kind of understanding the, the, the thinking and the ideas and the systems is a way to start to kind of move beyond that a little bit. And I'm, you know, to, to kind of connect this to teaching, I'm, I'm curious how you, how you kind of approach this with, uh, with your own students when, you know, whether you see things like that or how you kind of start to bring in other processes or systems or ideas to, for your students to kind of move beyond these kind of surface level mm -hmm. ideas. Yeah. It, it, that, that's something that I think is always going to be part of how I think it's just inevitable for students to be drawn to things and just try to kind of mimic them. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sometimes it's a courage thing. I think that's definitely like something that happens in, in certain classes. And, right. and I think it's like, there's there's a sort of you know there's always like the right way and the wrong way to doing that i think that there's definitely upsides to just like copying on on the upside i think the what it does is at least allows someone to dwell with with some amount of material and like i think like maybe find unpack it a little bit more hope you yeah hope, yeah, you know, one, yeah one hopes that, that that kind of like allows a little bit more insight into it the downside is that it does kind of overemphasize like the aesthetics like oh this is like david carson so like this is that world and I'm, I'm just gonna like right take the cues that i see and i'm just gonna try to apply them to the thing that i'm working on without the context and that usually feels like a wrong fit it definitely feels like there's some tension there um not good tension um but i think like the hopefully you know what i try to do with my students um you know, like I, I'm, I'm teaching more studio courses now. Um, in, in like as, a, as an instructor, like that, that's more of the, the mm, space mm -hmm. that I occupy. But I try to bring in examples of, of material as much as I can because I have the access to the collection here. So it's, it's, it's a really easy thing for me to do is bring students right. here to the well center right. or bring material out to the class. What I try to do is, is kind of what I do in general. In so I kind of put my curator hat. Um, when I do that with my students, I really try to explain as much as possible a little bit of like what the connections might be to them, like how right. to like unpack some of this work and really not to get sucked into just like, oh, this is the filter. You know, it's like, it's not styles and flashcards of filters. You know, it's like, you know, it's not like, here's, you <laughs> yeah. know, the yeah. humorous Tibor Kalman kind of work. Here's the, you know, the David Carson kind of thing. And here's like the Swiss stuff. And like, it's not just a deck of cards, right? Like it's not like something that you just choose which which thing that you do. Although yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there are deck of cards that like unpack this history, but but there's there's more nuance to it, and it's more right. about the making of it, like and kind of embodying something. And and the beauty of having the artifact, and I think that's another kind of hurdle, is like it's very difficult for designers and especially design students to get hands on these things. You mm -hmm. know, I think like when when we were in school. It was a little easier you know it's like you can go and just get these things and right kind of you could feel them touch them and then i think we, we started like you know buying them and acquiring these things i think it's becoming a little bit more detached because there's so much stuff online right yeah we don't need to go seek out those things like oh i can just google it right i like think the what i try to do is bring the artifacts so they can hold it feel it and then just slow down with it you know, yeah just like kind of un, 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 un sit with it and, and see if we can kind of unlock it 
and really suspend that that initial maybe gut reaction. I think there's always this this there's a certain level, and I think it it happens with every generation. It's like when even um, I think there's there's some filter, you know, of the things that your teachers kind of try to expose you to. It feels um, there's a there's always like it feels like a little bit of a generational step, mm. you know. Like I, I I remember myself as a student, and just the the references that you teachers make would often feel a little old time. You know, there's like a little bit of like, yeah. mm, okay, yeah. cool. I, I see that. I, I can understand. I appreciate that you're bringing this in, but well, right. this, is, right. this is a little old now, you know? Right. And I think that there's this, there's, it's inevitable that that happens. And I, I completely embrace that, that my references that I might be bringing to my students might feel old fashioned to them. But I try to really sort of work with that. It's like, fine. No. Yeah. Yeah. It is old fashioned. That's fine. But, Let's let's see it for what it is. Let's let's kind of like let's see. Let's find value in it. And, you know, it's like you're here. I'm here. We have time together. We could just waste the time. You can just sort of sit here and not really get anything from it, or we can get something really useful out of this. Here's some ways to kind of think about these things in a more holistic way, where you will find relevance to it. You know, right. And then trust me, it's not me telling you that this is the only thing. That this is the you know the gospel that this is the truth, that this is how design works, but here's an artifact. And if you look, if you find the right perspective, and that's kind of what I'm dwelling on a lot, is like the perspective, giving them the students the perspective. Here's the perspective on how to see this thing and find something super useful. I think, yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. And I think something, I think a place where you actually do a really good job of that here is on the the flat file series. Mm -hmm. Is it does that is that still going on? Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's slow. Because okay. <laughs> uh, I thought it, yeah. I thought those um, those kind of short little mm -hmm. almost like showcases with little essays do do such a great job of that because they they show these images in kind of really beautiful high res full screen. You know, you can can really see them, and then. You scroll down a little bit, and there's a really kind of thoughtful, short essay that's never very long, mm -hmm. but talks a little bit about how it looks, a little bit about where it came from, a little bit of the designer, but then also adds to that a little bit. Talks about kind of where it came from, why this might be interesting. Um, so that's not really a question other than a compliment, but I think <laughs> kind of what you're saying, you're doing yeah. a, a good job at Yeah. Um, but I think th I think that's like a really nice way to kind of do that too is mm -hmm. and and it also then gets the your collection right out yeah into I mean the world. I, I, like I, I really like in a way um, it's not something I feel like we own I mean like I what I'm I'm really hopeful for is to allow these to be a little kind of case studies these little models right you know, it's case like, studies a great word for it like like as a teacher you you always model things and you you know. It, it's it's just it's it's this passing of information. It's like it, it, because it's not arithmetic. It's, it's mm -hmm. not like mm -hmm. a, a, an exact science. Like you just want to model the behavior and then let the the students excel you. You know right. because they're you know like they're younger. Like they're you just want to show them like the mechanics of it and then let them own the mechanics and do whatever they they can and will do with it. So in the same way, what I'm hoping that the flat file series does is just allows a glimpse into like here's a piece you know and and just here's some things that could bubble up mm -hmm. you know if you just allow that yeah. to happen i think so i'm hoping that what that does is that makes people 
look at the things, even the things that they already own, you know, like the stuff, like we design ourselves, we create right. everything, right? Like right. it's inevitable, like that, they can walk into every designer's apartment and like find <laughs> cool things, you know? Yep. It's a given, it's a hundred percent guarantee. But what is it other than just like artifacts that right. are done almost in the same aesthetic reason? You know, we bought them for the aesthetic. We yeah. like how they look on our walls. Like we want to be identified with them. It's amazing. It's awesome. I'm all for that. But what else? Like, I, you know, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't have to stop there. And I think, like, the things that we already have or the things we already own, like, let's pull them off the shelf. Yeah. Like, pull it off the wall. Like, flip through it. Like, how many people own the Vignelli map? I mean, like, they, <laughs> it, it's, it's countless designers. It's like, you know, it's like a rite of passage. You have yeah. to buy the Vignelli map, right? Not, not everyone, but a lot of, you know. What, how many people have actually like sat with it and looked at it and deconstructed it and really sort of got right. something out of it and asked, you know, even even more importantly, like, um, questioned it, right? right. Like, I think that there's this there's this problem within design history, where it's almost unquestionable. Like, if it's given to you in the design history, you accept it and you just right. take it. Like, right. this is the good stuff. Right. Who said it's the good stuff? Right. Like, not that it's not the good stuff, but shouldn't we at least like have some filter to it we we, we should have some some uh some power to interrogate that and ask yeah why does it yeah. work the way it does and like who said it's the best of the best you know like the idea of canon in canonization is, is deeply problematic but like it, it's this kind of stuff like why do we have what we have i bought this thing it's on my shelf it's on my wall i clearly feel something for it how am I going to make it useful? I want to be a better designer. Like yeah. we have these things already like in, in our shelves. And like I said, like I'm guilty of as much of this as, as everyone else, because we just like these things. We love how they look. Yeah. We put them in our house. It makes us feel good. But it, uh, often enough, I think we should just wake up and say, I'm just going to spend some time with this. I thing. love that. And just like dig into it and like get something out of it. I think like the core for me is like being selfish, right? Like I think it's almost like, um, I, I don't know if it's like a stigma, but it's almost like you can't be selfish. You know, there's, there's like, I don't know. I'm not sure if I can articulate this in a, in a, in a healthy kind of uh, clear sort of way, but I think that there's something that like, you know, I, yeah, I'm going to struggle to kind of frame this, but I find like we have to be really selfish, you know, like selfish and like, why does the Vignelli map, how will it make my design career better? Right, like just the mm, fact that I bought mm. it. Okay, so I spent a hundred dollars for it. It's on. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's a status symbol, right? It means like, look at me. I'm a designer. That I have these things. It's. It, it's. It's your badge. You know, it's like it's something that, that that you wear to show others that you're a serious designer, kind of. Right. right like a little right, bit of right, that. Right. So sure, fine. Let's do that. That's great. Like we we keep these things, but as a designer, like be selfish and use that other than a status symbol, use that to improve yourself as a designer. You, I really wholeheartedly believe in that, that Vignelli map that hangs on a lot of designers wall can make them stronger designers if they understand something behind it. Yeah. The context, the yeah. story, the, 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 the reason why it failed more importantly, right? Like it did fail. It did fail. It didn't succeed in the thing that it was designed to do. You know, it right. didn't work as a map. It's a beautiful piece of design. At the same time, I find it deeply flawed because of, of the, the decisions and some of the mechanics that went into it. 
But if we know that and if yeah. we tackle it from that point, we can be stronger graphic designers. I think that's great. I actually really like that idea a lot. And I'm going to ask a question that m might seem like a complete left turn. I'm hoping it connects in my in my <laughs> in, in projecting how I think you might answer yeah. this is going to connect because because we we did skip over a, a decent amount of your career and, and, and your background, but I, I did want to talk a little bit about your time at Cranbrook and mm -hmm. kind of what you were hoping to get out of, of that, but also to try to connect it to this, Cranbrook holds a really interesting place in design history, I, I, I feel like, and in a way, I think it's a bit underappreciated for its contribution to to design history and, and design discourse in general, and I, I just talked to um, Andrew Blauvelt, who mm -hmm. probably is going to be the episode right before yours. Uh, and so Cram talking to him, Cranbrook has been on my mind again. Um, but I'm kind of curious how kind of all of these things we're talking about, um, you know, how, how Cranbrook kind of fits into yeah. this or, or the influence of that, mm -hmm. of your time there mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. fits into your thinking now. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um... I like that sort of tangent. I, I, it definitely is a, a good a good left left turn. Okay. Um, I think like the because I've been kind of thinking about the Cranbrook too, like just just sort of thinking about my time there and like it, it it's it's like everything in hindsight starts to make more sense than when you're <laughs> right. kind of yeah. right in the midst of it. And Cranbrook is definitely like a a unique institution, a unique place where everyone's experience there is like completely different and, and strange and kind of nebulous and I think it does take some time for that to kind of sink mm -hmm. in for you know it, it's not fair to me to say like how that might compare to someone else's experience in another institution because that's the only experience that I have with that institution but because of the sort of this the strangeness that Cram Cranberg has that like just the structure you know lack of classes lack of you know mm -hmm. real sort of mm -hmm. instruction grades etc like all the things that make an institution seem like an institution yeah. um but it does you know in that uniqueness i think like i've been kind of thinking about like what what did i like why did i go there what did i get out of it you yeah know? um was it good like was it was it a good thing to do was it um i mean i think like in the hindsight it was i never questioned that um that it was uh that it could even seem like not a good thing like um mm. it was always something that um felt right from kind of the same thing happened when i walked to and right, Cranbrook. The first day I worked at into Cooper, I was like, "Oh, this is feels right. There's something here that feels right." And I stepped on on the Cranbrook campus. I was like, "Oh, this feels right. There's something here that like resonates with me." It's like, "Okay, let's just yeah. go with that." You yeah, know, kind of this, yeah. this like if it's if it feels right, then that's yeah, yeah, that's a I big know exactly what you it. mean. Um, and then there's definitely kind of the feel that that there is this legacy there. You know, I think it's it's kind of hard to escape the history of the Eames, you mm -hmm. know, the, the Saarinen, like, the, it, it's the, and yeah. then uh, the McCoys, like, it, it's a big kind of part of the fabric there, and it's, it's in, kind of inescapable, it's, it's always there, it's always kind of quite visible in many places. So the history that's there is something also that kind of drew me, I think that, that the fabric of how the institution is woven is, is very much kind of in this kind of legacy of these important individuals. And because I was coming to Cranbrook after about five years of working as a graphic designer, it was sort of like I already kind of have been going through kind of the growing pains of being right, a graphic designer. Right. And I think like the, the context that led me to Cranbrook is 
a bit of disillusionment. Yeah. You know, I really yeah. wasn't happy with where I was. Uh, just uh, in terms of my own output, like I, yeah. I wasn't yeah, yeah. happy with the work I was making, and I didn't really know what to do with with, with how to sort of steer the yeah. ship. That's the same for me in grad school. So I, I think I was six six or seven years, mm -hmm. but it was the same thing. I felt like like it it was not going Crisis, in the direction I wanted. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sort of like what what's going on? <laughs> right. Like yeah, and 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 we do take ourselves very seriously. Like oh my god, this is not like this is not how it's supposed yeah. to be. Yeah. Um, I, and I do wonder, I mean, like, uh, I don't know if, if, if you've had this experience, you know, if, if, if many people sort of go through that. I mean, I, ima I imagine a lot of designers around that's kind of yeah, five yeah. year mark, three to six year mark, <laughs> yeah, yeah. get that crisis. I mean, I think maybe most just kind of power through, <laughs> you know, yeah. just change yeah. jobs, maybe, yeah. and some kind of do the, the grad school route. But I, 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 it feels like that five year sort of stretches like where it yeah. feels like you get the itch you're like oh i gotta do something about yeah this. yeah yeah i mean exactly. I, I, that, I don't know if it was the same for you but like when i was thinking about grad school like i really was thinking of it's either grad school for design or no design like i really had this kind of fork yeah i don't think i would have said that mm -hmm. at the time but in retrospect i think that is kind of how i felt about it and i could and because i went to grad school even kind of subconsciously thinking that I was going to grad school to become a design critic or a design writer or a design educator, that I was still in the world, mm -hmm. but thinking that I was not going to be a graphic designer anymore. Mm -hmm. um, it, it didn't really turn out that way. And I kind of, grad school ended up reminding me what I liked about the design process. Mm -hmm. uh, and I kind of realized that I don't want to give that up. But yeah, I think... I don't think I would have known that at the time or kind of that design grad school yeah. or no design, but I do feel like that's kind of what it, mm -hmm. where my head was. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I feel like, you know, my experience was not completely, not, not the opposite, but I think like there's, there's something that I kind of felt like I like what, what the motivation was like for me, it's like either I completely give up design or I get into grad school and I will just become a different kind of designer. Right. I felt like right. it was just going to be like this next year. Yeah. That I yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It was kind of like that too. And in a funny way, like what I find now is like having gone through that experience and having like sort of re-entered into kind of the design world, um, um, my trajectory has been to pull away from design much mm. more from the making of design. Yeah. Even though I went to grad school to just completely become a much better designer what I thought would happen I've moved further and further away the more I've kind of been out of grand cranbrook I'm, I'm making less design even though that's the yeah. reason I went to yeah. it but I think like the the, this, the the dynamic that happened there is what allowed me now and sort of it set me on the, on this trajectory I think it, it, it reminded me like you said like it reminded me of certain things it reminded me yeah about sort of the greater context in a way you know it's like it it, it didn't did reinvigorate my my draw towards the making. I still um, completely uh, I love the mental space of you know problem solving is like the, the too, too too easy of a term, but I do love that space. I yeah. do love kind of thinking and sitting and kind of struggling through that. But at the same time, I also think about the mechanics and I I've, I've, the history part really came back in full full force. Yeah, and that's. I think what led me, the experience I had at Cranbrook is what led me to do the things I do now and to realize this connection between the historical material. That Yeah, that's that's my 
almost my experience exactly and kind of how I now have seen my career post-grad school and kind of where I see it going or where I want it to go. I don't think that my ultimate goals or my career goals or even even the work I'm doing now, honestly, is quote-unquote traditional graphic design. I'm not that interested in the, you know, kind of working with clients, the kind of design as service as, you know, that sounds weird to say, but Mm -hmm. even though I do that, that's not where my my interest is, it is moving away from practicing design. And, and if I would really crystallize it, I think it's really in teaching. Teaching is, is really where I feel like all of these things I'm interested in come together. And so it has the writing component, it has the history component, it has the, these kind of conversations, mm-hmm. it has, um, you know, it has the kind of theory and the criticism um, and it has actual designing, whether it's kind of, you know, designing presentations or syllabi yeah. and just kind of class things like that's where everything kind of comes together for me. And so I say all that because I, I kind of want to ask you a little bit. I, I have just a couple questions to to wrap up, but to connect it back to Cranbrook and, and your experience. The last time that we talked, you had mentioned that you, you felt like you learned a lot from from Elliot, who, who I also talked to mm-hmm. about teaching. Yeah. And so I kind of I'm I would love to just hear a little bit more about yeah. that and kind of how how that has affected, you know, your yeah, work. Since. Yeah, again, like it's it sort of it's just this like weird thing that I didn't go there to to learn to right. teach. I didn't go there to become a, a design teacher, and that look you know, and that's now my sort of career. But I think what happened is I was in an environment where this sort of conversation about the making was so deep and so nuanced that kind of just just really stuck in the mechanics of how Elliot structured the the program when I was there and I, I'm sure it's gotten sort of even tighter even stronger since I've left um, Elliot's sort of a tinker I think he he, he fine-tunes everything sort of, mm-hmm. you know, to, to a certain degree you know year to year you know the dynamic changes but I think he's 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 a, he's got a good uh, sense of, of uh, reflecting on the practice and then sort of right. stepping in and like modifying things as need, and that's something that I really saw in his practice, and that's something that I've kind of uh, retained as well. This idea of sort of introspection, kind of like looking at like you know it, the the sort of the good dose of micromanagement of like all right, so yeah. okay, so what is going on, and okay, so here's like a little bit of a weakness. We can we can shore that up. And that's the same kind of principle, I guess, in, in a way, like that it was applied to the critiques. You know, I think like the, the way Elliot structured the critiques um, was very uh, useful for me. And the, understanding the work that I was making better, the understanding kind of the, 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 the I guess, the you know, in some ways sort of the mechanics of design, but also really allow me to understand like how to teach in a really interesting way. I think like the, I, I, I structured my critiques in this very similar fashion because I think they're very effective. At least in the courses that I've, I've taught in the studio courses, I think some of the things that I've really emphasized is, is group critique and kind of, you know, mm. the, the, the participation of the students and, 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 and also at the same time, less participation by the maker. You know, so it's more, right. it's really about us looking at something, you know, Elliot would call it sort of the cold read, you know, usually like the work that you see in, in, in the critique space is stuff that people are tinkering in their studio, but like you don't really see it. You don't really like, you yeah. don't share it with everyone for two weeks and then you see 
like the slightly more final version of it. This is new stuff. Stuff happens, like you come in like, wow, I've never seen that. What is it? Let's talk about it. Like the, the, yeah. you have no context, no entry point into it. And you have to struggle, kind of like find what it is that you can suss out of it. And I think that's a really good effective um, 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 space for students to be in because it confronts them and they really have to contend with it. They really have to contend right. with it on a very sort of nuanced level. And it, it's really helped me teach. It's really helped me kind of, um, I really believe in that methodology and I, I think like, or you know, an aspect of methodology because I think it really, um, it gets them to care. You know, and right. I think like yeah. one thing that I often uh, realized sort of in the environment that Elliot kind of set up, the environment that Cranbrook set up, you know, Elliot's part of, you know, like is, is in a way like you can call it like a product of Cranbrook as yeah, well. Yeah. So it, it's sort of built in there, but I think like what I, one of the strongest things that came away from Cranbrook is like realizing how much your con contribution, one's contribution and the critique to other people's work, like how you talk about other people's work, the things that you find in other people's work, especially yeah. the, the the That's critical component of like the weakness in the work is often the the same weaknesses that you struggle with. Right. What allows is this bit of mirroring. Like when you see something, it's not like I I, I don't think this happens a hundred percent of the time. But being able to confront a piece of work that's new, something you've never seen, and being critical and finding the the things that work, and but especially the things that don't work, you I find that intuitively, subconsciously, we're drawn to the things that we struggle with in that's our own interesting. work. That's interesting. And so we're able to then like problem solve through other people's work, our own. That's sort of really issues. interesting. And I find that like, and I encourage my students to do that because I remind them like, unpack these things. You're, you're going to be drawn to something like, you're not them. You didn't make this and you didn't struggle with the flaw. But if you can find that flaw, that means there's something that you're working through possibly as well. Yeah. And in a way, you're helping yourself. You're kind of right. you're giving yourself more by critiquing someone else's work. And I, so there's these kind of mechanics that I really think uh, are super, super effective. And that, that's something that I I've, I really admire about the time that I spent with Cranbrook and I admire about the structure that Elliot set up is that it does allow this kind of deeper investigation. And it's really like the same thing in a way that I do with, with the, the like flat file or anything that I do in the archive is, is I think this trajectory and the time that I spent at Cranbrook and this kind of uh, very sort of rigorous investigation of other people's work is what I apply to older work. You know, I right. just use the same lens, you know, and then it's it's kind of funny. I mean, like, it, it's really strange, again, like, not, not to sort of ping back to what we were talking about before, but, like, it's I find it very strange that, like, we designers go through this like rigorous process of making the work that we make. You know, we obsess over it. The yeah. art directors, you know, it's like you want the client to get the best thing, and like it's this really like serious struggle and, and a lot of a lot of work. And then when we look at other work, we don't apply right. that same right. rigor. Like right. it's almost like okay, so we can do it when we do the work ourselves, but then like we're it, it's everything else is absolved of that. Why it shouldn't? You know, and like. Yeah. Who has time? One, right? Like, it's right. Like, I'm not going to go to MoMA and, like, you know, stand up in front of Vignelli Map for two hours and, like, critique it. But why not? Ultimately, kind of, why not? Like, yeah. And I think that that's the process of, of Cranbrook and having been to Cranbrook after grad school, after, I mean, af after working, going to grad school, after working 
has allowed me to, to, to just reconnect with that idea of like, here's the rigorous kind of thing, you know, and, and, and entering into the job of, of being the curator in this collection with that baggage that I came away from Cranmer, it just was natural, just kind right. of like it started bleeding in. So I really think that the Cranbrook is this really interesting magical kind of space. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's it, 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 it does leave a really strange kind of effect, and I find that it, I think it just takes a little bit of time to really come around to understanding what it is that you come away with. It's not a very immediate thing. I think in other institutions, perhaps, there's a little bit more of a immediate kind of... Um, benchmark like oh mm -hmm. I'm, now i'm able to do this and look at how oh, my yeah. sort of career has like here's like formally i'm at this you know i came in here and now i'm here mm -hmm. i think there's something that there is a, a little bit of that at cranbrook but there's a deeper sort of like more latent kind of thing that that starts to kind of grow the more you move away from it and the, right now the thing that that i think that that's the i really think that my gospel, like my now sort of con contemporary gospel, is like connecting design history to contemporary practice in this like very meaningful kind of way yeah. that isn't about the aesthetics. Is completely a product of my experience at Cranbrook. Oh, interesting! Really, it really is in, in, that, in that way. I mean, like I had you know what I brought there, but then me and all of this kind of mess like thrown into this pot of Cranbrook and that structure that was yeah. there or lack of structure funneled into what I do now. I really couldn't see myself being able to make the same connections that I make now without having that, had that experience. Oh, that's interesting. Scooper by itself wouldn't have been enough. Yeah. Scooper, work, Cranbrook, yeah. other yeah. things. Yeah, and that's how it always yeah, you know, totally. <laughs> seems to go. Um, my last question, this is a question that I, I end all of these with, and, and it, it's a hard question, and it's probably going to be especially hard for you in this room where that we're in, but I'm always curious kind of who are the, the writers or the books that have really uh, kind of influenced how you think about mm. kind of all of this stuff mm -hmm. that we talked about that I realized, you know, as we're sitting in a room completely yeah. surrounded so by, by books. <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Yeah, it is, it is a little hard. Um, or, or, or even like yeah. the people that you find yourself going back mm -hmm. to again and again. Well, like, I, I think I wouldn't have had any sense of design history without Steve Heller. I mean, mm. the, the, yeah. the, the body of work that Steve Heller's put out there is enormous and insane. I mean, I, I can't, like, even imagine, like, how, how much uh, time he spent doing these things. And I think what's really, um, I think what resonated with me about Steve's work is that he writes as a designer still. Like, mm. you, know, I, you know, he's, he's definitely, you know, like, we would consider him as a, design historian, design critic, you know, uh, design writer, but he is still and was a designer first, you know, yeah. I think he came to that space out of interest towards history, but I think it's not like you can't be a good writer and a good critic of design if you're not a designer, you know, I think that there's distance in space that is helpful, but I think especially in design, I think it's important to be a designer, know how it's done. Yeah. Kind of. So I've always appreciated that about Steve. And I think I keep going back to his work and discovering like, oh my God, there's like this thing he wrote like 20 yeah. years ago. It's like, oh my God, I had no idea. Like, a, like, and, and it's something super useful. Um, you know, like we often tend to know the things that are more contemporary, you know, that kind of like you see them in the bookshops and stuff, but like his body of work is so vast. I find myself kind of going back to him. I really, um, I think like Unit Editions is is is, is oh, yeah. someone like um, 
uh, a publisher who I think I have deep admiration for because their just their commitment to doing this thing yeah. and really um, finding these 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 things to write about and publish that that may not be so uh, yeah. kind of on the top of, of the food chain kind of learn. But I think they put a lot of passion and they put a lot of effort into making these these beautiful objects and they're desirable. They're, they're the kinds of things that you want to own just because of the beauty of them. But also like if you spend time with them, which I really hope that everyone does, is like they're 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 so insightful and they're right. so well written, they're so constructed, like beautifully designed. They're really thoughtful things. So I, I go back to them um, a lot because of, 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 of just the the but, you know, there's always something really useful and really interesting to, to glean from them. Yeah, and then <clears throat> there's, like, new people that I'm finding. Um, people who are writing about stuff. Um, just just giving the, the kind of a, a, a different framework to the kinds of conversation that we're having. I think that there's mm -hmm. a lot of, of stuff happening in Europe. Trying to unpack, especially in Switzerland. I think that oh, there's, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of uh, designers and design kind of the new crop of design historians, design critics who are trying to grapple with the history of Swiss design and like the legacy that it, that it still has. Um, we collaborated with um, with a group uh, of designers sort of, you know, from different parts of Switzerland on, on Swiss Style Now exhibition that we had oh, a yeah. couple years ago. And that allowed, like we had a short kind of one day symposium and, and, and being able to connect um, to some of those people and some of the writing that I've seen, it, it's really opened up my my eyes to the the kinds of conversations you can start having, you know, especially within a very kind of strong visual culture, mm -hmm. like something like Swiss design. But I've been really, um, really surprised. Not I shouldn't be surprised, but I, I was really pleasantly surprised by the new perspective and kind of the new conversation oh, that's coming out of that, yeah. and like the models. Uh, I think there's called called mapping Swiss design, the book. Um, yeah. So there's there's some really, um, really really great things that are happening there, and and, and, and and so, it's, I'm I'm glad to see that there is sort of this interest in in writing and, and publishing. Uh, a lot of it is kind of self published and, yeah. and finding rooms, um, for for that stuff to go. So I I think that. Hopefully, it's a really kind of fertile ground. I think that the yeah. people are connecting to the stuff. So I'm, I'm curious to like to see how um, how it continues. Like what you know, I think the work yeah. that you do is, is is propelling and pushing that that same space of talking about these things and, and making that uh, relevant to you know. It's not we designers need to, to you know to to think about. Right. Not yeah. just w exactly what they do, but like to have this bigger conversation, or at least to find room in, in, in their day to day kind of just to focus. And I, I think like what I'm finding is the I think the challenge I'm finding is like finding that that sort of that sweet spot for knowing what designers how how little time designers have, like how to get something to them in a in a succinct kind of way that's enough to get them. To, to get the insight, but also feel yeah. like they're not reading yeah. like a 300-page book or for, for, you know, just dense kind of stuff, but just get them interested a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that, I mean, that's exactly my, that's like what I think about all the time, and that's like one of the reasons why this is a podcast is because mm -hmm. it seems like another way to present a lot of information right. uh, 
while you can be doing something else and right. maybe you can kind of get that in a different way and so i think that's like a the great commute is, <laughs> right, is, is right. The, yeah right. that's my saying fading grace like i can listen to this on a commute yeah it's yeah short enough it's good um so i think that's a good as good way to kind of wrap this up thank you so much for doing this, this oh, was so pleasure. fun this my was pleasure. so interesting to me so thanks for being on the podcast my pleasure i appreciate it this episode was recorded on August 8th, 2018 in New York City. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud, and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.